Here at Tech Stalks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're stoked to have Tech Stalks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. Ray-Ban is your reflection in the mirror of your truest self. It's the shade on a hot summer's day. It's your own focus regardless of any spotlight that may be on you. Together, Tech Stalks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you're on. You can't predict the light, but with Tech Stalks and Ray-Ban, you're always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. Follow the light at www.rayband.com. Hello and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to a South African artist who is arguably one of the biggest and most successful musicians on our scene today. With four of his previous albums being certified platinum a few times over and a fifth one almost certainly on the way, this rapper, songwriter, entrepreneur and record producer has set and broken records all over the place and his infinite drive and enviable work ethic place him at the very top of his game. Born and raised in Mafeking in the Northwest, with a strong sense of family and heritage in every aspect of the music that he makes, innovation and reinvention are at the core of everything that he does. I am, of course, talking about the one and the only Casper Nyovest. Casper, hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, Tex. How are you doing? I'm chilling. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh I'm happy that we're in level 1 of lockdown. Uh it's been it's been a challenging time for a lot of people being in lockdown for 8 months. Fact. Um yeah, and with and with no live gigs and everybody having to stream shows, um one of my lockdown highlights from very early on in April was the the Global Citizen Together at Home concert which you were obviously a part of. Yeah. Um and I think because we were all still in level five and like feeling very unsure about the future and then like there you were and it was you and it was Shaw and Black Coffee. And I remember when you came on Twitter just exploded with all the love. Like what did it mean to you to be a part of a, of a worldwide coming together and a celebration on that global scale? Um. It was very nerve-wracking because um, everybody was just performing from their homes, right? I'm used to having a, a full stage where I can do my thing. So to be constrained to just a small space was like a bit like intimidating, but it was for a good cause. And um, the songs that we selected were actually really dope and we got a lot of positive response from uh, people all over the world. Uh, so it was like, you know, intimidating as a performer, but it, it, there was a bigger cause, so um, we, we had to do it anyway. I read that you actually had COVID quite early on, and because you were training at the time, you thought that it was just a headache from, like, overdoing it. Yeah. What, what was your experience of having COVID? Like, was it a mild case or was something a bit more severe? It was mild compared to everybody, like the stories I read and saw. Mm. And um, I mean, everybody was panicking. So I was always on the internet. And um, when I caught it, 
if I hadn't got the call from uh, the person who was exposed to it and met me, I would have never known. I would have just thought I had a headache because I've been training. I'm training for a fight. Mm -hmm. So I was sparring um, the previous day and I took a few headshots. So I thought maybe it was just headaches Mm -hmm. from (laughs) sparring. So uh, I I still went to test. There was this uh, drive-through testing station um, down my road, and I went there. And um, three days later, I got my results, and they were positive. And um, all I had was a mild headache for a few days, and fatigue, and my eyes were red. And then on the seventh day, I got a very hectic fever. Mm. Um, that was challenging. I remember the day when my body was really, really cold and I would like put on like a gown and just dress up. Then I would get really hot and then I'd put off the gown and then I'd get cold again. Then I was just like, okay, this is not, you know, your everyday flu. It was really hectic. Flu on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. It was that, that night was scary, you know, but, um, I had very mild symptoms and because I was training, I was like deep in my training and I was very fit at that time. I think maybe that's why I was affected as much. Mm. And uh, a few weeks later, I was in um, Durban and I tested again and I tested negative. So my story wasn't that hectic and I also didn't pass it on to anybody in the house. So everybody just kind of concluded that we were all positive and we all drank and uh, took care of ourselves for 14 days and quarantined together. I see you were and smart. You were smart and responsible. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I tried to be. Uh, I wish everybody was that responsible. I know, you know? right. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, there's a lot of people that were infected uh, that shouldn't have been. Like, you know, like when I got the call, I went straight home and I didn't leave the room for 14 days straight. Like literally my my family was dropping off food by the door type of thing, you know? So, and that was before I even knew if I was positive or not. But a lot of people get exposed to it, get that call, and they'll test maybe a week later when they feel sick or, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's how it really spreads. I hope people who are listening to this who are irresponsible, like, check themselves. <laughs> That's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But but as someone who has built this incredible empire as, as being an independent artist, I feel like you have to be hands-on and also in control when it comes to all sorts of aspects of your brand. And a lot of artists that I've spoken to have felt like they haven't been in control during lockdown yeah. because of like forces that are beyond their control. You yeah. Know? What What's your experience of lockdown been? Um, it was scary at first. I won't even lie. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, going from making hundreds of thousands every weekend to zero. It's like, what the hell? You know, like yeah. I was used to a certain type of lifestyle and not worrying about money. And, you know, the first 21 days was like, I, but you know, the, the, we, I had, I mean, everybody had a little amount stashed somewhere, but you know, two months later, it's, 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 
everybody's pockets are dry now you know and you're really making no income so um thanks to just having other income streams besides music um i was able to to survive and not lose anything uh i sold two cars mm. um just to minimize my uh expenditure so um i had to let go of of a business vehicle and a personal vehicle and um i kept my favorite car still and i kept my home and i was able to help some family members as well get through it and um the country is now opening slowly and i didn't really take that much of a knock but it it i i kept on asking myself you know what are my colleagues going through because i know that you know not mm-hmm. all of us have um multiple income streams we were all just looking at you know these shows that we were doing and also um planning shows so the fact that everything was canceled was very scary and it just um forced me to think and forced me to put more effort into uh growing my income streams and also putting more effort in investing more outside of um businesses that require me to be active and moving you know so that was really my experience with the lockdown um yeah I think that that's very smart. I think there are a lot of people that, you know, don't have a nest egg or don't have anything stashed away for a rainy day. So, I mean, I think lockdown and this pandemic has made people from all industries re-examine, you know, the way that they spend their money, the way that they invest their money. So it's cool that that it's opened you up to different ways of thinking. But on the flip side, on the more positive side, you got to spend a lot of quality time with your partner during her pregnancy like you were basically there for the whole sure. thing like she must have been really really happy about that as opposed to you being on the road and like being constantly busy what has this quality time meant to to the both of you um uh, firstly i mean i don't think it's a matter of people not saving money i think this was a different type of um it wasn't a rainy day it was a rainy year mm. you know so i don't think anybody was prepared for this i think the only people who didn't feel it were billionaires i mean they they probably just crying about losing billions but they still have billions you know so i think it hurt everyone but you're right um in terms of me personally i don't like to speak too positive about the lockdown cuz there's people who lost their lives and there's people who lost mm. their livelihoods livelihoods so i i Mm-hmm. I I stand I I try not to speak about my personal experience like too much uh as pos- positive as it, it was because yeah I I I wasn't living with my partner at the time that um um lockdown happened she was happening she had vis- she was visiting and then the lockdown happened and then uh she stayed with me and then that was like the most convenient thing that could have happened to us because um we got to experience the pregnancy together it's our first pregnancy uh for the both of us uh and we 
got to bond and it's so funny because i literally i saw a lot of people tweeting like this but i i, I literally realized that i actually like this person i was like yo like you know uh, my partner is actually a dope human being that i could spend the rest of my <laughs> life with like if i had to spend the rest of my life in a room with this person i actually dig her and the rest of my family you know i was here with my mom my partner uh, my two sisters and uh innocent uh which is another guy I live with and i actually dig you know there was no turmoil in the house like after a few days people end up like you know fighting or just like yeah they want to keep yeah. yeah yeah i we <laughs> we created a dope little routine where we were playing um board games in the evening every evening and um you know we shared the chores some would cook some would clean uh and um experiencing also the pregnancy seeing the belly grow every day into an actual like pre- like actual fully pregnant woman it was like the craziest thing to experience you know the heartburn you know all these different type of advice you 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 people. were there for everything every, yeah, i was there <laughs> i was there every step you know what i mean i was i was pregnant i was eating more than her oh my god I was like, man, all these symptoms are coming to me now. That's exactly what my father said when my mother was pregnant. He's like, yo, I'm eating for like the Yeah, yeah. It it (laughs) happened to me. I think that's what happens when you're actually genuinely connected to the person, you know. Um, It also, you know, showed me the um, lack of responsibility that young men take Mm -hmm. upon themselves when they make young women pregnant and you know they Mm -hmm. they kind of just make them pregnant and go about their lives and then one day the kid is born and you know a few months later they're fighting about maintenance and stuff like that you know like that's kind of become the religion for young people and i was like man you know i could actually show how cool it is to be a dad and i've taken it upon myself to share this journey with people and you know make it a, a share a positive story, you know, to say, you know, us as young people, if you happen to make someone pregnant or you, you plan it, whatever, um, you, you, you have to take responsibility and, um, cause it's not about you anymore. You brought, you brought someone into the world and w- when you were doing it, you were, in, you were enjoying it. So, um, you know, you can enjoy the rest of the journey too. Casper, I love that you, you point that out and bring that up because I feel like strong male father figures in this country are sorely, sorely lacking. And I think that like, given who you are as a public figure and like a game changing user, I think that you could really become a role model if you wanted to. But obviously like not everybody wants to accept that responsibility though, because it's huge. True. Like how, how would you feel about being viewed as a role model like that? I've always uh, wanted to be viewed as a role model because I... Um, attribute some of my success, my behavior, and my my personal traits to having role models, positive role models. Mm. My father being the first one. I had a great, I have a great dad, like an amazing human being. My dad is probably like the most humble, most loving human I've ever met in my life. You know, and I've met some great people, but I've never met someone so humble, so forgiving 
and loving like he he doesn't get angry at anybody doesn't matter what you do to him you know it'll take five minutes for him to come with a solution um of how to fix things between you and him and that's the man who raised me and um someone who's loved by the community someone you know the community can always call and mm -hmm. um that's what i relate to so me being a musician uh, i can only picture myself as that type of musician that is approachable that is um a positive influence on the on, on the youth and uh that speaks about social ills that teaches you know those who follow him about the responsibility that they have and hold about wrong and right about um you know um the importance of of um being a, a positive figure in in the community and helping the mm -hmm. community and all that stuff because that's what i grew up on so as much as i feel like yeah it's, it's a big task but you know it's a small incentive that i could give back considering what the community has given me you know from everything that i know about you from you know naming your second album after your sister to the way that you talk about your mom and your dad on social media to the way that you spoke about your father now yeah. about being the most incredible man i get this very strong impression that like family is paramount to you so what are some of the lessons that you want to teach your son perhaps in the same way that your father taught you uh i think the first lesson would definitely have to be humility because i mean my son is going to grow up um, around a lot of privilege um he's gonna be a rich kid so i didn't grow up like that so it was very easy for me to learn about humility and by the time mm -hmm. i i I was famous and started making money. I already had these things instilled in me and I couldn't relate to the rich kids. I was like, yo, these people are weird as hell. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about their parents all day. Like, you know, my mom is this, my dad is this. And I was like in this room, like, what are you? What have you done? Like in this life. So I think about that a lot, like that I have to really teach my son about humility because the environment that he's going to be growing up in is just privilege and, and love. And he, 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 if he doesn't know how important it is to respect everyone and not view himself as better than any, better than anybody, he, he was going to have a big problem you know, with identity in, in this life, in this world. And he's going to be very um, spoiled. And and uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want a kid who, who, who feels like he's entitled to things. I'd love to raise someone who wants to work for whatever that he wants to achieve and who respects people. You know, in general, like I, I like my best friend. One of my best friends is my gardener. Um, I don't like to use that word even. He's my, I like to say landscape architect. Nice. Yeah. I like that landscape architect. Yeah. And uh, he, he, that's my best friend. And not because 
I'm pushing it. Or I'm tr- like, I'm trying to like create this picture. Like, no, it's like, I just generally relate to people um, based on real life, like his stories and how he grew up and how he got to where he is, which is a better place in his eyes, relate to me as someone who also gave up on school and chased my dream, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, the ability to view everybody as the same has allowed me to have conversations that some people will never have um, due to them already judging someone according to who they are, how they look, and what they do for a living. So humility is very, that's probably, you know what, I actually say this a lot, that's probably my sole um, responsibility in that kid's life. Uh, I want him to be his own man, and all I want to teach him is humility and everything else he'll just, you know, just do his thing. I mean, we we spoke about uh, there not being a lot of strong uh, role role models for for young men in the country, but I feel like one of the ways that you are already a role model, um, apart from being very humble, is is for your your entrepreneurial skill and your hustle and the way that you um, have built your career. I feel like when you became the first African artist to fill and sell out the Coca-Cola Dome yeah. in 2015 for 20,000 people without needing an international headliner. Like, that's crazy stuff. And then, you know, going on to do the same at, at Orlando Stadium the next year for like 40,000 people. Yeah. Talk to me about that first event at the Dome, like how it was conceptualized. It came from, firstly, I'm a big dreamer. So this is something that I planned when I was younger. Right, so it's it's crazy to speak of things in a township, and <laughs> and you like I didn't even have a fan at that time. I was like, "Yo, man, they I blow up, I'm gonna sell up, call it door." So this was like from day yeah. one. You had this, I, okay? Wow, definitely. That was always the wow. The I had the whole thing planned out, and then we're gonna sell CDs. Uh, you know, tie them into the ticket sales. And when you buy a ticket, you buy a CD. That means we're going to sell gold. Like we did this back in the hood when I was planning this. And um, That's crazy. Yeah, facts. And then I didn't even have fans. I was just some guy just talking crazy. I used to talk crazy all the time. WHP, may you so rest in peace, used to just listen to me and say, man, you don't understand how you sound. Because when you... <laughs> When you speak, like you speak with so much, um, what's the word? You speak with so much, not only confidence, but like you passion. Yeah, like you believe what you're saying. You know, you mm. you 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 know, you're not doubting any word. He gave an example of one time when I said, "Yo, when I make my first hundred million, I'm gonna." He's like, "Look at this broke kid." <laughs> talking about how he makes his first hundred million and he was like you know what man i actually believe you like when i listen to you and um anyway fast forward i was in the coca-cola dome when kanye was here with uh Castellite, whatever mm-hmm. and i was trying to open for kanye and we hit up all the people we could try and hit up and I just wasn't big enough. All I had was this one song called Kusheshe. 
Yeah. Or just a, a small, a small song. Yeah, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody um, took me serious. In fact, the biggest hip hop act at that time was AKA. So he opened for Kanye. He was a, um, a surprise act. He came out of this box, and I'm sitting in the crowd thinking, "Man, this guy sucks. Like he didn't like." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was hating because I mean, I'm sure he killed it, but I was just. I was just like, man, this guy didn't do any justice to this moment. So I looked at my manager and said, you know what? I'm going to do my own show here. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I think he was just gassing me up. But I was like, yeah, yeah. So I think a few days after that or a few months or weeks, I don't remember, I wake up and I said, I'm going to play the Coca-Cola Dome. All the way from Afghanistan, it's Mr. So I just get my phone. And I go on Instagram and I say, yo, if 20,000 people can like this picture, that means 20,000 people can come and see me at the Dome. If 20,000 people like this picture, I'm going to play Coca-Cola Dome. Facts. And then I posted the picture. I also posted it on Facebook. By the time it was on 7,000 on um, Instagram, this is way back, man. This is not when I, I, we were not doing these likes. Now I get 100,000 likes on a picture now. This is when, like, if you, got a, if you had a nice picture, it was like... 2,000 likes. This is back <laughs> in the cut, you know? And by the time I got to 7,000 on Instagram, I had like 21,000 or something on Facebook. So I was like, man, that makes 20,000. And I put on another picture and said, that's it. I'm playing Coca-Cola Dome. And then we went there. And um, when I got there, I was like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> This place is huge. What? <laughs> like, and, and I'm trying to like look at ratio. Like, how do you put? I was like, twenty thousand people is a lot of people, Casper. Like, what the hell are you thinking? So, I'm there trying to convince my management to do a smaller show. Like, no, you know what? Maybe we could just fool the people, make ten thousand. <laughs> like, nah, we're going the whole way. And then they send us the bill and just booking the venue before you do anything. Is a million rand. And I was like, man, when are we going to get this money? So it just got harder and harder as we started planning this thing. But we didn't stop. And we came up with a date and we went at it. And man, I lost 2.8 million that night. But you lost. I, yeah, yeah. I lost 2.8 million. Because, I mean, you have to think about it that this is South Africa where people would never pay to mm -hmm. go see a South African act. Like, let's start there. Now you're trying to convince 20,000 people to go and see a South African act. Like, we literally had to start the culture of people paying to go see South uh, one South African act at the Dome. Like, we started that culture. Like, mm -hmm. it didn't exist, right? So we had to look at, like, South African pockets and say, we can try and make a profit from this and say 400 rand a ticket, but that's when you're saying, don't come and see me. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. just going to be expensive for people. So what we did is we tried, we made the ticket affordable, and then we tried to get sponsors to sponsor. And nobody believed in us, you know, at that time. Nobody wanted to put money in. And we had to take the knock and say, you know what? We might lose money, but we're going to gain a lot of equity for this brand, you know, that Casper Invest did this thing. And we did which it. Which is exactly, yeah, which is exactly what you did. Exactly. 
was it the following year at Orlando Stadium where you tied in buying a ticket? No, we did. We started from the first one. From okay, so that was the first one because I thought that that was incredibly smart. Like you buy a ticket, you get an album. Yeah, first first one, fill up the dome. You buy already had the the same uh, sentiment where you you buy a ticket and get uh, an album. So we managed to sell twenty thousand copies on that day, um, and then we did the same thing with uh, Orlando Stadium. And then uh, we did the same thing with uh, Mabida, Moses Mabida. And then, uh, oh, we did Atlanta Stadium. Then we did FNB Stadium, right? And then w- when you sell 20,000 copies of your album yeah. in South Africa, you automatically go gold, gold. am I correct? Yes, yeah. gold. Yeah. Very smart. So we, we went gold on the first day with my second album. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And then my third album, we didn't do... Um, the stadium thing, we, we performed at the stadium, but we didn't tie the CD into the show. And then F&B Stadium, um, we also didn't do it. We did it on the fourth album in Durban. And then the fifth one we did um, in my home province, Northwest, where we didn't have albums out as well. So, But we were now, because we had started this culture, we were now working towards starting to make profit from it, you know, because now people, uh, people have bought into the brand Kespin University and they know now what they're paying for and they know that we're definitely going to see a great show. So we didn't have to throw in any incentives or anything like that. It was like pay this much to come see Casper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the new album. Uh, yeah. any minute now so it's called any minute now because you were waiting for your partner to give birth and the birth of your son it literally was like any minute now yeah. um and it's uh it's your fifth studio album and it's quite long it's like 21 phenomenal songs and i think it clocks in in about an hour and a half yeah um but did you create it to be the sort of album that you listen to like attentively from track one to track 21 like as a narrative that has a b- clear beginning middle and end Definitely. You know, when I was making that album, I, I was saying it's either you have the time to listen to it or you just leave it alone. Like it, it's, I wasn't trying to make an album that's going to grab people with two songs or nah. It's if you want to listen to a good rap album with good storytelling and good production and thought provoking songs and um, go through a lo- roller coaster of emotions. This is your album. But if you out here trying to scroll through something, definitely not the album to listen mm-hmm. to because it's very long and the songs are long as well. Like you really have to listen. And um, I really didn't care what people would say about the album. It was just a personal thing for me this time. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 30. I'm about to be a father. I need to tell my story the way I want to tell it. Well, I think clearly like, a lot of people are choosing choosing to rather listen to the whole thing than leave it alone because right. the has been getting so much love from across the board, like from all corners of the world. And I feel like what did it mean to not be rushed to get this album out and like tour the album? Like what did 
having that extra time mean for the quality of the album? Like, did you feel a different kind of magic throughout the recording process? Maybe like feel a bit more at ease? Uh, the lockdown really helped, you know, because we had a lot of time and it was calm. So it was a matter of um, being creative uh, as as much as you you want to be because you have to understand the lockdown really forced people to make music that has relatable content unlike mm -hmm. just you know you're not gonna make an album full of rubbish when people are home thinking you know there wasn't there was no parties there was you know you were literally home listening if you were listening to music you was listening to stuff that spoke to your soul so for me I had to make an album that really spoke to me and an album that could relate to someone who had nothing to do. Mm. So the the first single of the album, Wong and Corsi, yeah. featuring uh, quite a legend, Zola Seven, and it's yeah. it's really it's a really striking song, I think, about praise, but it's also Zola's real name for people who don't know. Yeah. And, and I love it because it's got this like beautiful gospel element and soulful vibe to it. Yeah. And I remember you wrote on Instagram that like this song will turn into a South African classic. And I yeah. really, really hope that it does because it's just that great. Talk, talk to me about how that single was written. That single wasn't even written. That's how I know it's special. Like it happened. <laughs> It's, it's, it, the song happened, you know, we were in studio writing something else that was very edgy, you know, like what people would expect from me and Zola, two kids from the ghetto, you know, so he was on his way to take a smoke break and um, this guy played this gospel sounding beat and Zola started singing. And I was like, man, we can't let you go smoke if you don't lay these vocals down before you leave. And he put his vocals down and he went and started smoking. When he came back, I put my vocals down. And he started singing a verse, no pen. I was like, there's no way I'm writing if this guy's not writing. <laughs> so we kind of just freestyled and just like sang from our souls, man. And that's how I knew that it's it's a it was a it's a spiritual song that people needed to hear. It's definitely a song that I needed to hear. You know, uh, the next day I was just driving on my own, and I was playing that record, and I just started crying, man. You know, like thinking of all the things I'm thankful for. You know, I'm, I was about to be a father for the first time. And I was in harmony with my partner, you know, and my family was getting along. Everything was just so beautiful, you know. I mean, I, I wasn't making any money, but like <laughs> uh, everything else that mattered, um, you know, was right. And I mean, what's the point of having money if you can't spend it with people you love? A hundred percent. I think... Another track, I'm happy that you mentioned that because another track that I can't get enough of is One of One. Yeah. And and you rap on it about how money doesn't fix all your problems and you know, and and that realization essentially helps your mental state. Yeah. And I feel I feel like, you know, what we spoke about before about um revenue streams drying up during lockdown. I mean, was 
the writing and recording of a song like that, was it cathartic for you to like help you work through issues that you were going through? You know what? I, I think when I wrote that song, it was before lockdown. So I wasn't even okay. writing it from a place okay, cool. of, you know, worry with money. It was, I, I was like, yeah, I got this money, but it's like, they, they hate me more now. You know, I thought, you know, I, I like rich people. Like when I was, I was, I was <laughs> when I was not making this kind of money, I actually liked rich people. I liked hanging with them. They made me feel like, um, you know, it's closer. Like I, one day I want to live like this. You know what I mean? So I thought everybody thought like that. Then, you know, then you become rich and you realize, no, some people actually hate rich people. It's like, why don't you get inspired? I mean, you know where I'm from. Exactly. You know that I worked to get here. I didn't steal nobody's money. So um, why don't you get inspired? So I thought, you know, that's the one thing I realized. And then I also realized that having money doesn't fix real problems. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can't throw money at everything. You can't throw money at anxiety. You can't throw money at depression. You can't throw money at um, the lack of confidence. You can't throw money at the lack of identity of self. You can't, there's like real things that we deal with every single day. And sometimes money actually amplifies those those problems instead of um, helps or, or, or solves it. So um, that's where I was coming from. You know, Casper, one of the things that I love about you the most is your complete and utter honesty on social media, especially on Twitter. Like if somebody comes for you or like your family or your homies, you clap back, which I admire. Like, you know, it, it takes a lot. But how have you adapted to use social media to your advantage instead of having it work against you? Because social media can be a scary place. You know, it's, social media is not... For the faint-hearted, because those people actually don't care. Like not you, at all. Yeah, you're exposed to a bunch of nobodies that don't care, but they're acting like they're important. But they're actually not important in real life because you know you got people who got like a hundred thousand followers and they think they're famous, and but the guy can walk in his hood and nobody will notice him. In his hood. He doesn't even have to leave and go to another neighborhood. Like, in his neighborhood, he can walk and nobody will notice him, you know. So they take, they've created this little life for themselves, you know, where they, they, they get to feel important. Like a king. Mm. Yeah, and they could just say something to Casper and, you know what I mean, like some dumb stuff like, yo, you ain't finished school, you matriculous, whatever, education. And I'm like, bro, like, you are going to spend 40 years at school trying to live like me. Like, you know what I mean? So, and for me, it's it's one of those moments where I feel like clapping back. Sometimes I'm just like, I ignore it. But sometimes I just clap back because I never want to be seen as perfect. That's one thing about me. I never want people to think I'm perfect. I'm not. I always want you to remember that I'm a human being, I've got feelings, and sometimes I'm going to do something that you won't expect me to do because I feel a certain way, you know what I mean? I'm just like you. So sometimes I, I clap back, but it's not, it doesn't change anything. That person is just happy I responded. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they're going to say, you said this to me, I'm hurt. No, they won't get hurt. They're just happy you said something to them because they're going back to their miserable lives where nobody actually cares. You know what I mean? There's nobody who's happy in real life who is on social media to bully people. It doesn't exist. You know, if you are important, you actually don't want attention. You know, you want everybody to look at everything except you because you are so important and you're so famous that people are always in your business. So the more people don't talk about you, the better. You know, that's where I am. I don't know about everybody else. But I know that I don't need to do anything for people to talk about me. You know? It's so funny. It's like this tweet that I saw Msaki post the other day. She basically said, like, the people who are the busiest are the the people who are the busiest are the ones who never talk about being busy. Mm. So so it's like you know, the, the ones that keep talking about, Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, the hustle that they're not doing anything. It's kind of like the same thing with social media. It's like all hot air, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, yo, man, we, we live in a time where you could just create a life. You can create another life. Like besides your real life, <laughs> you can go in social media and create a, a new life and people will believe you, you know? And especially if you believe up, if I posted two Rolls Royces tomorrow and say, uh, what you know about that? People are want to write about how Casper bought two Rolls Royces in the middle of COVID-19. You know what I mean? I can do that. I can do what they do, but I choose to live my real life, you know? And my real life is actually mad exciting, you know? It's actually mad dope. And that's what I choose to put effort into. I'm always looking at these people fronting, and I'm like, dog, we know you. You're not like that. You, you know, some people act tough on social media and act like they these, these tough gangsters. And it's like, dog, I know you. You're not Bunch like of that. Poses. You, you went to a private school your whole life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your parents would be embarrassed if they saw you act like this because they spent so much money trying to give you a better life. Now you out here trying to act like your cousin that you saw acting like that. You know what I mean? So it's, I'm always watching like, yo, man. And, and. The truth is it actually doesn't matter. This is 1% of the country. One. This is not a reflection of the true South Africa. You know what I mean? Of Mm -hmm. our culture, of how people... We are a country of Ubuntu. You know what I mean? Like, that's our culture. Twitter is not our culture. Like, what people are doing there, it's, yeah, you train three hours, I cool, but after you put your phone down, that's not how you're going to treat people in your community it's not gonna happen it's not gonna fly you can't go out there being mean to people in your community because you are gonna get slapped it's like real life you can't behave like that you know what i mean so i'm always looking at this like man these people think these things really matter but they don't it's just i don't i don't sometimes i just respond just to ruffle their feathers a bit and just for me it's personal because i just don't want to be viewed as perfect Mm-hmm. Yo, Casper spitting some truths coming at you. <laughs> Proper. But listen, I need you to level with me real quick, right? Yeah. So, so as far back as I can remember, you and AKA have been beefing, right? You yeah. guys are like, you guys are like Batman and the Joker. I'll let you decide who's who though. But, but what the, <laughs> but what, what's the situation between the two of you currently? Like, I know that yeah, there's a boxing just- match schedule yeah, for 2020 yeah. run but like what yeah. what's the vibe i don't like that guy man he i don't like him i don't like people like him you know what i mean um 
Um, I'm, a, I'm a kid from the hood who believes in humility and respect. Like, that's just what I was raised on. You, you don't disrespect people, and you respect people, and you respect everyone. And, you know, uh, he, he walks around like he's, he's a big deal, and he's not, you know? And um, his friends and in the industry are afraid of him. You'll never see the industry call out AKA for nothing nothing it's always just fans you'll never see like someone in the industry actually say something about him because they i think they're afraid of him and i'm the only guy who can tell him you know what man you know who you think you are you're actually a small boy you know what i mean so that's where it started and um we tried to mend it for a, a few years and i would meet this guy and we'd speak yeah whatever we cool and two weeks later he's back to his stupid things i'm just like man this guy's got issues, you know. I don't know if he's bipolar or I don't know, but um, I don't like him. Um, that's just what it is. And he just crossed the line when he saw it, my parents. And then I was and like, that, you know, that was completely out of line. You don't, you, know, you don't go there. And he went there, so I was like, I mean, this is not talking now. Now we need a fight, and um, it wasn't gonna be a parking lot brawl. It had to be something where I had to uh, protect my brand. And we agreed on having a boxing match. He called me out and uh, I said, facts. So we were supposed to fight this year, but because of COVID, mm-hmm. it was pushed to next year. And uh, soon the contracts will be signed, hopefully, for me, because I'm just trying to fight. That's what really I'm trying to get into. And well, I mean, you've been training, so yeah. I mean, <laughs> I hope I hope he's gonna come with you know with some big guns because I I feel like you've been training since March. Boxing is not about big guns. I'm gonna be very skinny for the fight. Actually, I've gained a lot of weight now. I'm like over a hundred, some mad chubby, mad slow, but it, I still have power, you know. So it helps. But uh, he he shouldn't have taken the fight, definitely. Like that's, he might be thinking in his head that he's this thing, but he's going to be very embarrassed. And and I, I hope that he trains. I really hope he does because it would be nice to have a little challenge. You know what I mean? But if he doesn't, I mean, still, he's going to get punished. I don't think he's ready for what's, what's going to happen. You know, he's what? never been challenged like that in his life. I mean, apart from the obvious, which is like getting to smash each other's face in, what what's the aim of the boxing match? Is there a charity angle to it, or is it literally just like let's hash this out, you and me? In to the be ring? honest, so, to be honest, to be entirely honest, uh, we could do like the charity thing and make it look like it's sweet and whatever, but it's not. It's not sweet. It's two men <laughs> who have a problem with each other, and we're gonna box and we'll make a little money with it, but. My the most important thing for me is to instill respect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna lie to people and say, you know, charity, whatever. That's not gonna that's not the plan. Well for now. The plan is to get in the boxing match and um boxing ring and box. And I've fallen in love with boxing since I started training. I didn't know it was such a beautiful <laughs> art. I just thought, you know, people just get in. If you're strong, you punch someone, you force. And it's actually more technical than that it's more uh, of a mind game it's it's more more of a fitness thing it's more of a uh you know there's a little bit of luck to it you know what mm-hmm. i mean and mm-hmm. um 
it's interesting how, you know, for instance, he's taller, mm-hmm. way taller, and I'm very short. So he's got longer arms. So that would, you know, in, in a perfect world, that would mean it's easy for him to just keep me from a distance and just jab me with his long arms, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you know your stuff with boxing and you're a shorter guy, you just punish him. You know, in the gut. But, yes. So it's, it's, it's really, you know what I mean? Like the boxers are already talking about it. And for me, I've fallen in love with the art. And, you know, I meet boxers and they're like, yo, man, you know, can you really close the distance? This guy is taller than you. And now it's for <laughs> me, it's like that. Like it's a game where, you know, I'd love to show everything that I've learned about the art. And, you know, South Africa has a great boxing uh, history and culture. So Huge. Yep, and I'd like to shed a little bit of light on that. And uh, this also showed me a gap in business, you know. So I'm going to be going into uh, more sports and boxing after this this fight. I want to explore um, promoting uh, fights and stuff like that. Oh, that's incredible. But yeah. I mean, listen, as, as an Italian, if somebody had to say something about my mother, I would also want to get in the boxing ring with them and, you know, show them a thing or two and sort it out. I mean, <laughs> like, it, 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 yeah, I think a lot of people can relate. And um, if I wasn't um, a celebrity or whatever, it could have been solved a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It would have been something where when I see you, I see you and it's time to, you know what I mean? Um, but I couldn't do that because I had to think about all these sponsors and everything. But, of course. you know, there's a lot of people who called me and said, you know what? We understand now why you want to punch this guy in the face. We, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like even my sponsors were like, okay, we get it. And if it's a boxing thing, we, we, we all for it. If, you know, you guys are going to be fighting at a parking lot, then, you know, no, no, no. So it's it's more respectable when it's, it's it's a boxing match. All right, but this thing needs to be televised. It needs to be live streamed. I'm going to keep my my eyes on your social because I want to know where it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see it. <laughs> you 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 definitely have to to be there. Oh yeah, I mean the live, yeah the live stream is I but you need to be in the building and you need to hear the shots as it goes. You need to you because it's 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 something else to 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 be in in in, a, in an arena where people are boxing is is and hearing those big shots and feeling them like if that hit me I would have you know I would have stopped completely so um, you 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 definitely have to be there in person. Okay, you've sold me. I've never been to a boxing match before, but I think that if ever there was one to go to for my first one it's this one <laughs> you definitely have to come <laughs> but uh apart from the training um and you know sort of keeping stuff together uh during level 1 and now obviously with the release of your album um what is next on the horizon for you are you dropping another single or what's in the pipeline uh for me right now, it's really about one thing at a time. The okay. most, uh, yeah, the most exciting thing for me is definitely just uh, being a first-time father. Like any chance I get, uh, it's really about um, going to see my son. That's beautiful. 
Yeah. Um, uh, like music and stuff is exciting and whatever, but um, you know, just being a father is probably the most exciting thing. And then after that is boxing. And then I'm also training. I'm, I'm building a a studio and uh, a, a, an office here by my crib. It's almost done. So uh, my operation is definitely going to grow now because I'll be able to um, hire more people, which oh, means that's amazing. we'll be uh, more, if, more, more efficient, more creative, and we'll be able to produce more content and we'll be able to um, help you know, more people. So uh, that's another thing I'm looking forward to. Casper, well, I just wanted to say thank you again for joining me on Text Talks. Like, it really is such an honor. And after speaking to you, I'm even more of a fan than I was before I went into this interview because you are you are just as humble and as lovely as I thought that you would be. And I cannot wait to come to your boxing match. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Come see me kick butt. <laughs> definitely, definitely.
shout out to Casper and your vest for joining us in studio. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also, a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our research assistant, Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side. <laughs>